1: Chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. The salt and the light. For you are the salt of the earth, Jesus is speaking. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Then he goes into the law and the prophets. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments, And teaches others to do the same Will be called least in the kingdom of heaven But whoever does them and teaches them Will be called great in the kingdom of heaven For I tell you Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees You will never enter the kingdom of heaven This is the word of God for the children of God
0: Let us uh, be in a state and manner of prayer as we uh, enter this time of reflection. Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you. Through this word for us this day, we would continue to grow closer to you, grow closer in our understanding of the kingdom, grow closer in this understanding of community that has been placed before us. Lord, that we would see glimpses each and every day through your Son, our Savior, through this community, and through one another. Amen. Amen. So, you know, one of my uh, favorite movies as a kid was The Lion King. Uh, it was one of those Disney movies we we had it on VHS. We watched it all of the time, and I love it because now i 've gotten my kids to like the Lion King and so they asked to watch it, which is great because like there 's nothing better than watching the movies that you loved as a child as an adult and realizing like no, they hold up over time it 's still a good movie. But as I watch this movie and as I reflect on it, uh, it always stands out to me uh, that that big underlying message that exists in this movie. And for for those of you who haven't seen it, spoiler alert, but really, honestly, it's been 30 years since it came out. So at this point in time, I'm sorry. Um, But spoilers. So if you still haven't seen the movie and you want to see the movie, you can cover your ears for the next like Two or three minutes while I describe it. Um, but, but for those of you who have seen it right, you know it's about this little lion cub named Simba. He is framed for the death of his father. He runs away, uh, thinking himself at fault. Uh, he is in the wilderness. He is he encounters these uh, two crazy, Timon and Puma, this meerkat uh, and this, this warthog. And they, they teach him a kuna matata. Uh, it means no worries. Uh, there's a song that I could sing, but I'll let Patty stick to the music. But then there's this point in the movie where uh, his long-lost childhood friend comes back and he tries to hunt Pumbaa and and almost gets Pumbaa and Simba kind of jumps in and it kind of uh, brings back all of these memories of his pride, all these memories of of his life as a lion and a soon-to-be king. And he really begins to wrestle with who he is. And so he goes away and or he goes away and, and begins to think and ponder on this. And he comes into contact with this 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 mandrel monkey named Rafiki. Who who remembers Rafiki, right? That yep. And Rafiki leads him on this journey to this great open pasture, this this open lake. And he calls Simba to look into the water and to say who he is, trying to get him to remember his father. When this spiritual presence of his father, Mufasa, comes, there's this great interaction that I love where Mufasa says, you have forgotten who you are and so forgotten me. Look inside yourself, Simba. You are more than what you have become. And then he goes on a line later and says, remember who you are. You are my son and the one true king. Remember who you are. You see, I love this section of the movie because throughout the entire time, Simba is trying to figure out who he is. And like all kids, if he had just listened to his father to begin with, or actually probably better yet, just remembered what his father had told him, he would have remembered who he is. But it takes this reminder for Simba to realize who he is, to claim the authority that Simba has in this story, to overcome these dark thoughts that he has, to free himself to recognize the role that he plays in this circle of life that has been created in the African savanna. Right? Mufasa reminds Simba that he is Mufasa's son and thereby the king of this pride of lions that the movie centers around. That nature of claiming who we are is an important part of our Christian identity too. Claiming who we are and understanding the nature in which we exist in creation.
2: But you see, the problem is, is that sometimes, like Simba, we forget who we are.
0: the image that is implanted within us can become distorted. Sometimes so much that we can't even see, know, or understand who we are actually supposed to be. And instead wearing this false facade of who we think we should be. Right? As Christians, we recognize this nature in which we have been created in God's perfect image of creation in this perfect image of the law of love, right? This this skin, this body, this physical presence is a covering that creation has given us to protect that great and that beautiful image of God that we were created in. And so it's up to us to look at how we reclaim this distorted image that has come to exist within humanity. Right, and When Jesus is looking out, he is calling these people to recognize and to go back to that nature in which they have been created, to know who they are. And you see, as we looked at last week, we began this section of Matthew, right? We began this section here in chapters five through seven in the book of Matthew. I would encourage you to go home and read these two chapters, right? This is uh, the longest sermon of Jesus's that we have. Um, You know, we get the short parables sometimes, we get these little one-off sayings that Jesus offers, but here in Matthew 5 through 7, we get the longest cohesive sermon of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, and within it, Jesus is trying to identify, mainly for the disciples, right, but by nature of all the other persons who have gathered in this crowd, he is trying to name and identify what it means to be part of the community of God. What it means to be in relationship with God, both as an individual and as a greater body. And so Jesus comes in, right? And last week we looked at the first part of this, uh, known as the Beatitudes, these first 12 verses where Jesus says, blessed are those and blessed are these and and blessed are each and every one of these people uh, for they have something that has been blessed by God. And so now we begin to look at how Jesus has moved from this nature of blessing, right? Jesus offered a blessing to the disciples, to this entire crowd who has gathered, and now he's like, all right, guys, it's time to get down to business,
2: right? You have all been blessed by God, know that, and now hear these words.
0: Right, Jesus is going to go on and on and on about all of these things that exist within the kingdom of God, about our understanding, about our lived experience. And the reason that Jesus starts with blessing is because he wants to help these folks identify who they are. They are blessed by God, and then he needs to center these people in a sense, an understanding of exactly who they are in God's kingdom. What is the role that each and every one of us plays? right? Jesus' blessing and the Beatitudes are understandings of the work that God has already done. Calling here is to place their minds in the mentality of the connection and relationship they have with God. And so if we are loved by God, amen, and it is by God's grace that we have these manners of blessings as human beings, amen? Amen. Then what does that mean for us? Well, I'm glad you asked. Not me, you asked Jesus, right? Because Jesus is the one that gives you the answer. I'm just the one here to make sure the answer gets through. Right? Jesus says that we are salt and we are light. Salt for the earth, light of the world both of these descriptors of sorts offer this lens through which the world offers experiences, through which the world experiences these blessings of God. When we talk about these glimpses of the kingdom, we recognize and name how it is we see these understandings through the life and ministry of Jesus. And so when Jesus teaches us that we are salt and light, It is in that same visual understanding that Simba was called to remember that he is Mufasa's son and he is the king. It is something that Jesus is reminding folks, something that has been present since the very moment of creation, something that has been present within humanity. And these calls work on both an individual and a communal level calling us into this nature of righteousness that God puts before us. And so we are salt and light. And now you're asking, again, because you're smart individuals and you like to learn things, what does that mean? Well, again, I'm glad you asked. Salt and light
2: represent, as I told our kids, purpose and visibility. Right? We learn to be salt and we learn to be light. We learn to have purpose, and we learn that we are visible.
0: Not that we can have visibility, but that we are visible. These are not callings to who we can be. These are namings of who we are. And so we are salt. Salt with its, with its flavor, with its properties, with its value. Right? Jesus notes that without salt... Salt loses all of what it is, right? Without saltiness, what is salt? It's good for nothing. It's it's dirt that can exist on the ground. And so Jesus names us as salt because he names that we have purpose in the kingdom we have purpose in creation we have purpose in who we are called to be and then jesus continues and takes it a step further and says not only are you salt for the earth but friends you are the light of the world why because not only do we have purpose friends not only are we called to be disciples not only are we called to be part of this kingdom but friends we are visible to others Right, there's a reason that we sing the hymn, they will know we are Christians by our love. Why? Because when we are out in the world, people see God through us. Because we proclaim who we are, right? We proclaim that we are Christian. We tell people that we live by the gospel according to Jesus Christ. And so when we say that those things, when, we, when people know who we are, we are a light
2: for the world. Because people can see us. Right, And Jesus says, do not distort that light. Right, When
0: there's a light, a city on a hill can be seen from far away. Right, When we have a light, we don't put a bushel over it. We don't put a basket over it. We don't try and cover it up. Because if we did, we wouldn't be able to see as well. No, Jesus calls us and says, embrace that light. Know who you are. Live into that purpose. Live into that saltiness. And this is our nature. This is who we truly are. We have been blessed by God, and by being blessed by God, we live into this nature and understanding that we have both purpose and visibility in this world in the the way that we have relationship with God. And as we talked about in that first week when we talked about baptism, we talked about righteousness. And so Jesus continues on because he knows that neither one of these things, that neither one of these identifiers of who we are can exist without righteousness. And so what is this great understanding of righteousness that has, come into our, that has come into our mindset, or at least in the mindset of the context that Jesus is preaching in? It is this nature of the law, that to live by the letter of the law puts you in right relationship with God. To live within this nature
2: of the law makes us righteous. But hold on. I mean, have y'all ever read the law? There's a lot of stuff there. See, here's the cool thing. Because Jesus knows and understand the
0: nature in which we humans understand the law. And that is different than the way that God has put law before us. And so Jesus comes in, and he says in the midst of this passage, right, he's preached all these things. Blessed are
2: they, blessed are you, ah, blah, 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 blah. you are salt, you are light. Because he wants to remind people the
0: nature that righteousness lives and exists within each of us says, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish, but I've come
2: to fulfill. And so the question for us exists, what does this mean for our lives here on earth?
0: What does this mean if Jesus comes and he fulfills the law? Does
2: that mean we just get to go around doing whatever we want? No. This is where it comes to our
0: attention of how Jesus understands the law. Remember when Jesus asked about the law, what does he say? He says the law can be boiled down to two commandments, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? We've talked about both of those. And so when Jesus begins to offer this idea, this understanding of the kingdom, this understanding of relationship and righteousness with God, Jesus begins to understand and live into this nature that he has come to fulfill the understanding of the law that we receive from God. And when we look throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, when we look in the Old Testament, we see these two commandments lifted up, lifted out, and the purpose and intention behind them lived forth through how God commands the Israelite and the Judean people. And so Jesus begins to help his listeners understand the law and understand why the law becomes so important. Because at the basis of the law, the basis of what Jesus is fulfilling is that we are called to love God and love one another. Why? Because love is at the root of relationship. And relationship is at the root of righteousness. Remember how I talked about righteousness a few weeks ago? I said, righteousness refers to being faithful to relationships. You cannot be righteous all by yourself. You are righteous with God and righteous with one another. And so righteousness implies relationships, right? Righteousness becomes this embodiment of the relationship that we have with God. And Jesus in this passage is calling us to exceed the righteousness of the scribes. Why? Because righteousness does not identify a way that we live by this this oftentimes set of codified rules that we have. But righteousness exists in the fulfillment of the law, in the way and
2: nature in which we love God and we love one another. go Go back and read a lot of those laws in the Old Testament. What's at the heart of them? At the heart of them is to love God and to love one another. Because at the basis of this understanding of who Jesus is calling these people to be,
0: is to live and exist in this nature of righteousness where our purpose and our visibility are guided by who God calls us to be.
2: And as we reflect on this, this, just this section of Jesus' message, we look and we begin to see our role
0: being called to be the salt of the earth, to be the light of the world, that in our journeys, we live into the righteousness to which we have been created. And so that is, we are called to find purpose, to know we are seen, and in doing so, connect and live into these holy relationships
2: that we have not only with God, but with one another. That is the call to be salt and light to the earth.
0: That is the call to live and exist in righteousness with one another and with
2: God. You are salt. You are salt our light. Friends, you are righteous. Amen.